0: Welcome to Leading the Way, where today, Dr. Michael Yusuf continues his series in the down-to-earth book of James, helping you infuse faith into your real life. Today, looking at how money and faith come together.
1: Probably there is no more explosive subject than the subject of money. It is explosive in politics. It is explosive in church. It's an explosive subject. And so, today... I am going to be an expert in diffusing the explosive bomb called money.
0: Dr. Yusuf tackles this volatile subject in just a moment. First, though, if you have any questions about beginning or going deeper in your faith walk, let me encourage you to begin a conversation with one of our compassionate team members. Just fill out a quick contact form at ltw.org slash Jesus. Well, to give Dr. Yusuf just as much time as possible for today's message, listen with me as he begins now.
1: John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me nothing of happiness. Railroad magnate William Henry Vanderbilt, he was the richest man in the world at the time of his death. Before he died, he said, the cares of 200 million dollars is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor was the first multimillionaire in America. He said, I am the most miserable man on earth. Pioneer car maker Henry Ford. He said, I was happiest when I was doing a mechanic's job. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 is a commentary, blunt one, but it's a commentary nonetheless on what those Statements I've just made about those folks and what they said. When he said, listen, you greedy rich, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. He makes a statement, not to the pagan non-believers like those people I just read to you about, but he's talking about believers. The whole epistle is to believers. The whole epistle, I'm calling it the twelve evidence of faith. Probably there is no more explosive subject than the subject of money. It is explosive in politics, it's explosive in society at large, it is explosive in church, it is explosive in the home. And that is why more marriages end up in divorce over the issue of money than anything else. It's an explosive subject. And so, today, I am going to be an expert in diffusing the explosive bomb called money. And there are several things that you must keep in your mind and in your heart as you listen to these words from the Apostle James. First of all, I want to tell you, James is not speaking about money. He is speaking about the use of money. Second thing is this. Remember... Everyone has their own view on the subject. And I'm not here to change your views. I'm just here to point you to the Word of God. The third thing I want to tell you is this. Nowhere in the Bible, I want to repeat that, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that it is a sin to be rich. In fact, the Bible gives us a number of people who were wealthy. These are biblical heroes And God used them to use their wealth in order to bless the world, literally. Think of Abraham. He was probably one of the richest people on the earth at the time. King David, King Solomon, King Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah. In the Gospel of Luke, they tell us about the wealthy women who supported the ministry of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, Philemon, Barnabas, Lydia, just to mention a few. So please, 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 you must understand that the apostle James is not talking about rich people as an economic class. He's not. He is not saying that it is a sin to be wealthy. And so in chapter five, verse one, when James addresses those who use their wealth the wrong way, he is addressing those who use their wealth in sinful means. Those who use their wealth in destructing lives of others. The Apostle James is addressing those who make money to be their God. And that happens whether a person has a hundred dollars or a million dollars. Makes no difference. Uh, James is addressing those who have placed their trust in their possessions, whether they're meager or much. James is speaking to the person who hoards and hoards and hoards and then hoards some more because they do not trust in the Lord's provision. James is speaking to those who should have used the blessings that God has placed in their hands to bless others and help the needy instead of lavishing it on themselves. James is rebuking those who spend their blessings on selfish wants and lord it over others. Instead of spending it to bless the work of God and the kingdom of God. James is speaking to these folks. And he said, one day, you're going to wake up on the other side of eternity, and you have nothing. And that is why James specifically called them the greedy rich. They are the ones who should weep and howl because of the misery they're going to experience on the other side of eternity. Because that's what... Misery is going to be, when they get there, they're going to be howling and weeping on the other side, so might as well get ahead and start now. <laughs> get used to it, because that's what you're going to do for eternity. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Here's the bottom line about James chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Ask yourself the question, as indeed I'd ask myself the same question. Is the Almighty God or the Almighty dollar controls my life? That's the question everyone should ask, whether you have a dollar or a million. Why? Because riches tend to give us false feeling of self-sufficiency, the truth is this. Please listen carefully. Your true statement of net worth is not the few things you got the car or the house and the few savings. and the No, 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 no. Your true statement of net worth is everything you sent on ahead to heaven. That's your statement of net worth. Because that's what be on the other side. You know, hear people say, we can't take it with you. The Bible said you can. You send it on ahead. Listen, we get into trouble when we either deliberately... Or voluntarily forget that God owns everything. He owns all of the gold. He owns all of the silver. He owns all of the real estate in the universe. And God is looking for channels through whom He can do His work. God is looking for conduits. God is looking for distribution centers. That's what God is looking for. God is looking for people who understand and delight in passing on the blessings to others. And so... He gives us some of that stuff. And that is why James speaking to that Christian who squanders God's blessings on themselves. He is saying to that person that you are not demonstrating the compassion of Christ. He is saying you do not represent the values of Christ. That person is not obedient to Christ. And that is why the use of of your material possessions, is that evidence number 10 of the 12 evidence of faith. We're getting close to the end. It makes no difference to God whether you're rich or poor. It really doesn't. Because wealth and poverty is simply a circumstance of life. What matters to God is whether you trust Him fully with what He placed in your hands or not. That's really what matters to God. If you are a believer, the Bible said you have passed from judgment of hell... Into eternal life. You already passed that judgment. It's very clear. I don't want you to misunderstand me. But what he's saying here, he's not talking about the eternal judgment of hell. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, you have crossed that eternal judgment. So, what is he talking about? He's talking about exactly what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 10. Let me read it to you. For we must all, he's talking about we and all, believers, right? For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one, he's talking to the believers, may receive what is due him for things that are done while in the body with a good or bad. Again, please, please understand. This is not the judgment of eternal judgment of hell. It is the judgment of whether you're going to receive a reward in heaven or not. That's what he's talking about. In fact, the Apostle Paul even makes it more vivid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 12 to 15, he says, What we have done, every one of us, is going to be tested by fire. If you've given to God generously of yourself and of your resources... He said, when that match is lit by God, your work and your reward is going to be like gold and silver. I've seen gold being melted, and it is incredible. It becomes shine and bright than ever. He said, for those who give the crumbs of themselves and of the resources, when the fire is lit, their crumbs are going to look like hay. And what you do when you light a hay with a match is gonna burn very quickly and all you got is few ashes. That's what he's saying. God places such importance on the right and wrong use of material possessions that 16 out of the 38 parables of Jesus have to do with money. In fact, one tenth of all the verses in the four gospels, 10% of all the verses, pointedly and directly toward money. The Bible you find that there are 500 verses about faith, 500 about prayer, but there are 2,000 verses about money and possessions. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason. I'm going to come to it. I'm going to tell you why. Why does the Word of God place such emphasis on the right and wrong use of material possessions and, and the blessings that He put in your hand? Listen to me very carefully, please. Because God knows that money will always be a powerful force in our lives. I know it is in mine. Money will always have enormous hold over us. God knows how easy it is to place money on the throne of our lives where God rightfully belongs. God knows that we will always mistakenly place our security in money. God knows that we will always try to mistakenly look to money for a sense of well-being, a sense of worth, and a sense of purpose. God knew that we would be inclined to work and sacrifice for money. God knew that money is His number one competitor. Did you know that? It's His number one competitor. A few years ago a comedian by the name of Jack Benny. He always portrayed himself as a stingy tatwad. In one of his famous sketches, he was walking across the street when he accosted by a gunman who demanded, your money or your life? And basically, all he got back in response was a long-drawn silence. And the robber was getting frustrated, and he growled again. He said, I said, your money or your life? The annoyed Benny said to him, he said, don't rush me. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> I'm sure he's thinking that. said, so this is ridiculous. How can anyone put money over life? And yet, there are many people in churches who are willingly risk their eternal rewards for possessions. Think about that. Even though we are warned in the scripture again and again and again, and yet statistics show less than 7% of Christians in America tithe, let alone give offering on top of that. Isn't that sad? That's a sad, tragic statistics. Hear me right on this one. A steward knows that God cares just as much for what you keep as much as what you give away. What you do with what you keep is just as important in the Lord's eyes as what you give to the Lord. Some people have a hard time deciding your money or your reward. Why? That shouldn't be a big deal. For some reason, they see this as a difficult choice. Don't rush me. (laughs) I'm thinking it over. And that's why James warns us. If we acquire money by cheating workers and their fair wages, these people cry to God and their cries reach heaven. Because... God knows everything. Can you say that with me? God knows everything. He knew that Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. God knew that Cain killed his brother Abel. God knew that Achan took the spoils of victory in Jericho. God knew that David sinned with Bathsheba. God knew that Jezebel had Naboth the Israelites killed. God knew that Gehaziah, Elisha's servant, heart went after the goods of Naaman, the Syrian captain. God knew that Ananias and Sapphira lied about the price of their field. Don't kid yourself. You cannot get away. With robbing God because God sees everything. God knows everything. Four perils of self-centered prosperity. Self-centered prosperity. That's the operative word. To see them another way, there are four roadblocks that hinder us from receiving our reward. Or you can put them another way. So there are four reasons why some Christians never reach maturity in their walk. These are in verses 5 and 6 of James chapter 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Peril number one. A life of luxury. My goodness, I live in luxury, but that's not what he's talking about. Every time I go into my comfortable bed, I thank the Lord for the luxury of having a roof over my head. Every time I put a clothes on, I thank God for giving me enough to dress well. Every time I see blessings of God, I thank him for it. But what does he mean by living in luxury? Listen carefully. It means a life that is lived, showing off our affluence. A life that is flaunting the blessings of God. A life that manifests our conspicuous consumption. A lifestyle of the rich and famous. Things that reflect our ego and make people sit and take notice. Say, wow, look at him. Look at her. That's what he's talking about here. Peril number two. A lifestyle of self indulgence. There's nothing wrong with enjoying God's blessings. I already read from 1 Timothy 6. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. Nothing wrong with enjoying God's blessings. But we go wrong when we think that we are entitled to His lavish blessing on ourselves. We go wrong when we forget the purpose for which God blessed us. Namely, that we may bless others. We come into the world with nothing, and we leave with nothing. But between those two nothings, he places some resources in our hands. And one day, you and I are going to give an account, audited statement. What did we do with our time, with our resources, with our gifts? Peril number three, a fattened heart in the day of slaughter. Now, this is a Middle Eastern imagery, people force-feeding Animals, so they can plump them, because the plumper the better. The animal itself, who's delighted in gorging himself on this, what he considers to be a delicious food, <laughs> he is totally oblivious to the fact. This animal is not very suspecting that the only reason he is being fed like that is prepare for the day of slaughter. What is that day of slaughter? Is the day of judgment we already talked about. Do I have much to show for it? Peril number four. Condemnation and murder of the righteous. Now that's a metaphor. Doesn't mean literal killing, literal murder, no, no, no. But there are some people who call themselves Christians, and they're only Sunday Christians. For the rest of the week, they live like the devil. They abuse people. They take advantage of people. They extol from people. They say, this is the way business is done. It's a dog eat dog world. This is the way the game is played. They not only tarnish their own witness, but they put the reward in the last day in total jeopardy. There are certain movies that have left an impact on me. Saving Private Ryan was one of those movies. When the man in the end says, tell me that I lived a good life. I said, oh, I wish you know Jesus. Another movie that left an indelible mark on me is Schindler's List. Mr. Schindler, who saved hundreds of Jews from certain physical death. In the end of the movie, they have this big gathering and they send him a letter to thank him. And they gave him a gold ring. He gets so overwhelmed by their gratitude. He gets so overwhelmed by their thankfulness. And he says, I could have done more. I could have done more. And I could have gotten more people out why did I keep this limousine I could have got rid of it and have saved ten people why did I keep that gold pin in my lapel I could have got rid of it and I got two more people out I could have done more I could have saved more people now beloved listen to me very carefully please I don't use this frivolously this is a picture of some Christians on the day of white throne judgment who will be regretful of what they have not done for Christ that they could have done. They was say, I could have gotten rid of this. I could have gotten rid of that. I could have done more. I should have given up these frivolous things if it helps save people, help people, bless people. Why didn't I do more for the work of God? Why didn't I do more for those in need? I could have done more. I could have saved more instead of spending on frivolous, silly things and worthless things in life. I could have done more. Father God, what an honor and a privilege and joy to know you and to know that our eternity is sure. But Father, I pray not a single person here who would get into heaven with the skin of their teeth. I pray in Jesus' name that not a single person would regret what they have not done in this life for you, the one who did everything and gave everything up for us, your life, Lord Jesus. It is in your name that I pray. Amen.
0: Twelve Evidences of Faith that's the title of Dr. Yusuf's current series on Leading the Way. If you didn't get to hear the entire message today, remember you can listen online or subscribe to the Leading the Way podcast through your preferred podcast app. Learn more of these at ltw.org. LTW.org. Well, in our last few moments here, allow me to invite you back again next time when Dr. Yusuf passionately proclaims uncompromising truth on Leading the Way.